Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. So it's proposed that this huge gold mine will be right there, right next to our most important lands where all the salmon that migrate from the ocean go to every single year. So the tribes are really hoping to put an end to it. Today on American Indian Airwaves, stopping the proposed Donlin Mine project in Bethel, Alaska, throughout the Yukon Delta. If the gold mine project is constructed, it would be 2.2 miles long, one mile wide, and damage and destroy the salmon, floral, and fauna throughout the region, leaving behind a legacy of environmental pollution, damage, and harm to Alaska Native peoples, communities, and nations. We'll speak with the director of the Mother Kushkawam Tribal Coalition working to stop the Donlin Mine Project and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright The lone through in the black of the night You can hear, you can hear The whisper in the valley mm-hmm. And you know when come a cunny Over the past several months and under the Biden administration, several fossil fuel mega projects or carbon bombs have been approved with a mega gold mining project currently under proposal and in opposition by numerous Alaska Native organizations, communities, and nations. On March 13th of 2023, the U.S. Interior Department approved the ConocoPhillips $8 billion Willow Oil and Gas Drilling Project on Alaska's North Slope, which will produce a peak of 180,000 barrels of oil per day, roughly 40% of all the current daily production in Alaska. On April 13th of 2023, the U.S. Energy Department approved the $39 billion Alaska Gas Line Development Corps project to export liquefied natural gas, or LNG, to countries the United States does not have free trade agreements with, mainly in Asia. Backers of the project expect it to be operational by 2030 if all the permits are secured. Alaska LNG includes a liquefaction facility on the Kenai Peninsula in southern Alaska, and the proposed 807-mile pipeline will transport gas in northern Alaska across the state. While the Biden administration contends these mega-projects are a matter of economic and international security, the proposed Donlin Gold Mine Project is along the salmon-bearing tributary of the Kushkawim River in Alaska and threatens several Alaska Native families, communities, and nations' traditional ways of life. The company, Donlin Gold, is owned by Barrick Gold and Nova Gold Corporations, and it has proposed an open-pit mine measuring up to 2.2 miles long and one mile wide in the Yukon Delta. Donlin Gold's proposed open mine 
is projected to have a 27-year lifespan that will result in mining about 1.5 million ounces of gold per year, destroying land and life throughout the region, storing over 3 billion tons of waste rock mine tailings in an artificial pond beyond a large earthen dam. Our guest for the hour discusses how the recent megaprojects will harm Mother Earth, the proposed Donlin Gold Mine project and its implications for life, the extractive industries in Alaska, and the overall complexities of the Alaska Native Settlement Claims Act of 1971, and how it shapes a very complex dynamic for Alaska Native peoples and nations throughout the state. Sophie Swoop is Kupik and a community organizer at Native Movement and the director for the Mother Kushkawam Tribal Coalition, an organization dedicated to fighting against the Donlin Gold Mining Project and protecting the traditional territories of Alaska Native peoples throughout what is known as Bethel, Alaska, and now stopping the Donlin Mine Gold Project. Donlin Gold is predicted to be the largest pure gold mine in the world. So they'll be mining for only gold. And this is located about 10 miles up from Crooked Creek, which is a village on Crooked Creek. And it is pretty adjacent to the creek itself. But um, it's right there in the mountains. And essentially, they'll be mining for microscopic gold flakes. I forgot how many million ounces exactly, but this has risen a lot of controversy in the region altogether. The YK Delta is, I I believe, the first or the second largest delta in the world. So these wetlands have been pure and pristine for tens of thousands of years, and we have relied on those resources that are provided from salmon, smelt, whitefish, lush, which is known as burbot in most places. But um, the Tailings Dam is going to be pretty massive and just really full of toxic slurries from mercury, arsenic, other heavy metals, cyanide. And so it's proposed that this huge gold mine will be right there, right next to our most important lands where all the salmon that migrate from the ocean go to every single year. So the tribes are really hoping to put an end to it. And where it's at right now, um, so they have had the issuance of the 404 Clean Water Act permit, and that was a Trump-era decision. But there has been ongoing litigation on the state level and more so recently on a federal level. So they filed lawsuit on April 5th for um, the federal government. So that's one really big step. I'm really happy to see that happening because back in 2021, there was litigation where the judge decided there's a recommended ruling that the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation revoke that permit because they didn't rightfully cover all of the points that needed to be covered. And DEC went ahead and supported that permit. 
and that completely went against the recommended ruling from the judge. So I think that there's a pretty good chance that we'll be voted in favor, or not voted, but decided in favor by the federal lawsuit. And we don't know exactly how far they are in the development of the tailings dam itself, but that's actually something we're really looking forward to find out about just where they might be in that permitting process. You mentioned the YK Delta. And for those of us that are unfamiliar with home and and the geography throughout that region, um, give our Mm -hmm. listeners a sense of feel of what is the YK Delta and and, uh, the biodiversity of the land that culturally sustains the people and, and, and who the people are that will be impacted if this gold mine project is approved? Yes. So the YK Delta is the Yukon Kuskokwim Delta, and this is tucked in the southwest corner of Alaska. It stems all the way from the mouth of the Kuskokwim all the way up to the Yukon mouth. And I live in which is better known as Bethel, Alaska. It's right there in the middle of the Kuskokwim. There's 56 different villages within the entire region, and it belongs to the Yupik, Jupik, Jupik, and Athabascan people of Alaska. And the Yupik culture, and I'll just use the word Yupik to kind of generally define Jupik and Jupik because... They're all under the same umbrella. We have the same lifestyle. So the Yupik culture is heavily influenced by our connection to the land. And a lot of our food, our food security comes from our ability to fish and hunt and being able to go to fish camp and spend all summer working on fish. It's really one of the core pieces of our traditions and culture that has been passed on for generations and generations. I personally believe that our DNA being Jupich myself is constructed from our ancestors eating these same foods for millennia. It's so, so important and having just the ability to go out and you know, stand on a river and fish for pike. Like that is really keeping us connected to our culture. It's just a very delicate way of living. And where the mine is, there's a lot of impacts that will likely happen. And they weren't really talked about in the EIS, but if there was a tailings dam failure, approximately 20% of that toxic slurry would go into the river and we would be impacted all the way down to the mouth of the Kuskokwim. So that's one of the main things is we don't want this toxic, toxic slurry to enter our waterways because it's so important. Um, another is there's wake. So when barges are going up and down the Cusco Quim, 
to go to the mind site, there is an exponential amount of wake that happens. And erosion is already a pretty bad thing here, being on a delta with tundra and permafrost that's melting with the climate change. There's going to be a lot of land that is ultimately just disappearing into the river because of the increase to barges. So with the Donlin project, it's going to increase four times its current traffic load. So these erosion problems will be exponentially higher and it'll be surrounding the area where our salmon and our smelt are spawning. So that will just make it a whole lot worse in terms of the current um, salmon declines that we're having having their habitat where they're going to create the next generation of fish will be impacted by that wake. And I think that's a really important piece for people to understand is we really rely on that habitat to be well-maintained and it has been very well-maintained and this just puts it at a very eminent risk. I know with um, gold mining, it increases the the toxicity uh, in the waterways and the sediments. And I know um, like mercury and arsenic get used, um, you know, many times in gold mining. And so, you know, if the project's approved, um, you mentioned it would increase the toxicity. Are we referring to, you know, mercury and, and arsenic? And then, and then what are the implications or the not just the fish relatives i know you mentioned the pike and salmon i my understanding is over 40 different fish relatives in in that area but also maybe um if you could speak to other plant relations like uh the berries and and any other type of plants that are you that are relatives for cultural purposes yeah, the mercury and the arsenic are actually naturally occurring here in the region. Um, when they're pulling out the ore to ultimately clean up with cyanide to remove the gold from all of the other compounds, that ore contains a lot of mercury. And so alongside being a gold belt, and that's why there are so many outside sources like Canada is the one really exploring in this area is a mercury belt. So that ore contains both substances. And when they're pulling it out of the ground, it, it's ultimately putting everything at risk for bioaccumulation. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Sophie Swope of the Chupik Nation, a community organizer at Native Movement and director of Mother Kushkoquim Tribal Coalition. We're speaking on the opposition to the Donlin Gold Mine Project, if constructed, would be the largest open pit gold mine throughout the world up in Alaska. And now back to the interview. And we do heavily rely on not only the plants and the fish, but moose and everything else that walks on that land. It's, I, I feel like it's a very sacred piece to everything. It's just having the land and having these animals and plants be able to migrate and have that freedom. And 
you know, they go to all of these different places and while they're going and consuming different things, I feel as if that will put moose at risk just with them eating plants from the willows and shrubs to the berries growing nearby. And it's not only the impact to the waterway itself, which by the way, it's very important because a lot of people do rely on the river as drinking water, water in their homes. So the water is very, very important, but there's also going to be like dust that will be just emitted into the atmosphere and will ultimately probably be like its counterpart, the Red Dog Mine. Um, That was described to be in 2016 the nation's most toxic releasing facility. So, um, yeah, it's really intense. They released 756 million pounds of toxic chemicals. And... This is what is being compared to when we're talking about the Donlin Gold Mine. We hear a lot about the positive impacts of Red Dog, but never really hear about the toxic impacts or what is being seen in those communities nearby. And I just think it's really important that there's that understanding that the economic pieces that are thought to be so good are very well overridden by the concerns and the potential for poisoning and taking away that access to our subsistence resources. I know subsistence often isn't like to be used, but that food sovereignty, I think that is such a beautiful term and Here in our region, we rely on food sovereignty so much. There's not only moose, there's muskox and bear, porcupine, whatever it is. We have um, the tradition of somya, where if you're out hunting and an animal presents itself to you, it's um, somya presenting itself and that animal and its spirit is gifting itself to you. So you're able to then take it, process it, and that's a whole spiritual process in itself. But just having that connection is so, so important. And looking at the um, health impact assessment that was done, it wasn't completed from my understanding I only saw a draft and this wasn't publicly released but they had mentioned that if we don't decrease how much fish that we're consuming it's very very likely that the mercury in our hair will spike and the recommendation for that was to come out and collect our hair to see how much mercury is in it So I I see that as very alarming because it takes away our food security, especially with the salmon and the fish, because I believe 90% of the residents in our region rely on salmon. Mm. And that has been argued in many aspects, especially surrounding a really big thing everybody's talking about now is the trawling and bycatch industry that's impacting 
how much fish is making it to us. I think that's really important, but also the preservation of these habitats where they need to reproduce. So, yeah, just with how much we rely on the salmon and the pike and everything, it, it is so, so important to maintain that security. When you were talking about the, the incompletion of the health assessment and, um, and we were talking about toxicity levels being spiked and how that impact, you know, the fish, the other uh, four-legged and, and plant relations. And, and I, I was thinking of uh, what are the possible long-term implications for, for life and, and just coming back to for indigenous people up there is, you know, could the long-term implications in people being exposed to these high levels of, um, uh, of mercury or other um, adverse chemical agents uh, that are produced as a result of the mine lead to higher rates of, say, birth defects or mortalities or leukemia, even in the adults, let alone passing it down to, you know, next generations. Yeah, so that is a huge worry that has come time and time again, especially by tribal leaders. We've actually experienced in our region, not the entire region, but one um, village, it's Tuliksak. On their Tuliksak River, they have what's called the Nyack Mine, and that is, it's a pretty old mine, and Things have changed since, but they're still developing it and people still come out from outside of our region because they're working at the Nyack Mine, which is pretty alarming to me because having been to Tuliksak and having spent time learning about what the impacts were from Nyack is they had a very exponential increase in cancer rates and I've actually heard at um, an annual meeting somebody testifying about how their father had passed and it was due to cancer from the Nyack mine which is significantly smaller than what Donlan's proposal is going to be and her concern was how is Donlan going to affect everybody She grew up with full fish racks and being able to harvest fish without any worry. And to this day, they don't have full fish racks. They just don't feel comfortable harvesting that that subsistence material. So it's not only impacted on the fish, though. Um, With Tuliksak, they had a and this has happened multiple years in a row, but where their water treatment facility burns down or isn't working, they have to then have water either shipped out to them by a donor or they have to travel all the way to the Cuscoquim to harvest water from the Cuscoquim because it, it's not trustworthy with how much arsenic and other products that are in their river or they were warned about. I've tried to look for the studies and knowing that a lot of data and scientific information is hard to get a hold of, especially in 
majority indigenous populations, studies are happening and the information isn't made public in most senses. So, yeah, just knowing that there's a lot of a spike in cancer from a mine several years ago and then seeing how much larger Dawn Gold is going to be, I, I just really worry that having all of that toxic material in the land, the tundra is a huge, huge sponge. And having all of that toxicity just exposed will increase the current in already high rates of cancer. Yeah, so just thinking about the scale and everything that goes into it, there are so many aspects, especially with climate change. Climate change has been impacting our region and the Arctic as a whole four times the amount that the rest of the world is seeing it. So with permafrost melting, we have this um, experience of ustep, and that means that the land caves where permafrost melts, and it can be a catastrophic event to whatever infrastructure is lying there. So to think about this huge mine in a place where they have upwards of one foot to 16 feet of permafrost, right where the tailings dam is, I think that makes it so much less secure. And where there's also um, fault lines. So there are fault lines that run right through and around where this proposed pit is going to be. Um, just having that thought and idea of what is going to happen if there is an earthquake and then the permafrost that exists melts and there is a natural phenomena that makes this tailing dam so much less safe. So none of those things were really taken into consideration in the EIS process, which is the environmental impact statement. And that's one of the main arguments. But a lot of what I've heard, too, with traditional knowledge, knowing that indigenous traditional ecological knowledge is at the forefront of the um, current administration's agenda, we need to really sit and listen to the elders and have that good, robust consultation, but also allow that freedom of expression because indigenous knowledge is passed through generation to generation. And I just think it's a very valuable aspect and that's why it's on the political agenda currently. But with solar flares and CME having these fault lines and permafrost melting, it creates just a massive instability for the tailings dam. And if that tailings dam was to fail, it would impact not only Crooked Creek or Aniak, <laughs> Napaimu, and everybody that is pretty close to where the mine site is, it will impact the middle and lower Cuscoquim. So from where I live here in Bethel all the way to Hooper Bay Platinum. And those products that are 
byproducts of the mining process are, from my understanding, very, very permanent and would ultimately lead to just not phenomenal, but immense inclines in cancer. And one thing to note, too, is cancer is already a pretty high issue here in the region. But to have even more toxic byproducts and exposure, that will only drive it up. And that's, too, something that's those are like the impacts that would happen if these toxic molecules do reach our waterways. And I undoubtedly feel that they will because we had our first hurricane level winds here just this last year. It was Hurricane Murbach. And I have never seen the river so intensely angry in my life. And I've been hearing stories about um, elders talking. And so these stories are from elders telling a story about elders saying that these are the first things that we'll see when the earth is going through its geomagnetic change. So there will be an increase in storms and things like earthquakes happening. And these are traditional knowledges that were passed. And with all of that in consideration and knowing that storms will be increasing, Hurricane Murbach was the first case that we have in this huge exponential change that will probably be going on in the years to come. And I think it's really important that those things are taken into consideration, especially in a place where a tailings dam needs to be treated and taken care of through perpetuity. Otherwise, the slurry will infect everything surrounding it. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. That concludes the first part of our show today here on American Indian Airwaves. We were speaking with Sophie Swoop from the Chupik Nation and she's the director for the Mother Kushkaquim Tribal Coalition and a Kushkaquim community organizer at Native Movement. We were speaking on the proposed Donlin Gold Mine Project in the Yukon Delta, if constructed, would devastate life throughout the region. We're going to take a short break here on American Indian Airwaves, and we'll come back with the second part of the interview.
Don't abuse the medicine here on American Indian Airwaves. In the second part of our program, we go back to our interview with Sophie Swope from the Chupik Nation, and she is the director for the Mother Kushkaquim Tribal Coalition and a Kushkaquim community organizer at Native Movement. We're speaking on the proposed Donlin Gold Mine project, if constructed, would be the largest open pit gold mine in the world. If built, it will have profound and devastating and negative effects on life and land throughout the region. And now part two on the proposed Donlin Gold Mine Project here on American Indian Airwaves. Sophie, we've been talking about Donlin Gold Mine Project, and that's a project proposed by Donlin LLC, a limited liability corporation, but it's actually a, a joint venture owned by two larger corporations in the extractive industries. And I was wondering, could you talk about who those two companies are and what is their legacy uh, either operating up there throughout what we know as the state of Alaska or other places on Mother Earth? Okay, yeah, I really like this question. So given the complexities of land claims here in Alaska, and I'm not sure how how much background everybody has in the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. It's often referred to as ANCSA, but that took the Aboriginal land claims and gave 11% of Alaska's lands to Alaska Native corporations. There are village corporations and there are regional corporations. So the owners of this mineral site are Jalista and TKC, the Cuscoquim Corporation. So from my understanding, it was back in the mid-70s, they invited in exploratory work to be done in these sites because they selected lands based on a very capitalistic point of view. And this was the Settlement Act stemmed from Congress putting together a task force to decide what was going to happen to the lands here in Alaska for Native American claims. And ultimately what came out of it is we'll take all of their lands and put it into the for-profit capitalistic industry. So that was a massive shift in our, our ways of life and perspectives because before that, it was really like, how are we going to go out and gather all of this food and make sure that we have a warm place to stay and have a place to store our food as well? And when... The 1971 angsta came into play. It changed the mindset for everybody. And these native corporations, well, they're native corporations. <laughs> they kind of have this very different abstract view, and they take what we call traditional values, and they those to match what it would be in that capitalistic structure. So 
when they were selecting lands, they decided to choose places that had good prospectful mineral and development aspects like up in the North Slope, the the regional corporation up there is who wants to develop Willow. And while there are villages, by villages I mean sovereign tribal nations, especially the ones closest to that site, they are opposed to it. But these Alaska Native corporations really sway the perspective on state and federal understanding of how much support there is. So with the Dalman Project, it is owned mineral rights by Jalista and the Cuscoquim Corporation, both Alaska Native corporations. And when they invited in the exploratory, it was first picked up by Nova Gold, who is Canadian-based, and it is co-owned by Barrett Gold right now. And so for a little bit of background, Nova Gold, I know in the past that they had one prospect that they wanted to develop, but that didn't end up going through. And now Donlin Gold is the core to their prosperity. And the way that I see it, they look to Barrett Gold as a well-known uncle <laughs> because Barrick, they have operated worldwide. And from what I have seen, um, they haven't treated indigenous people very fairly and really just had these ambiguous claims that the indigenous people thought, you know, we don't have those same perspectives, maybe they're right. So when the development happened, there's a lot of negative impacts. Um, like in Papua New Guinea, they have a mine site there. And to have that, um, I believe it was an earthquake that caused the tailings dam failure to happen in Papua New Guinea. And now all of the people that live in that area and that region are worried about having healthy drinking water and they believe that they have heavy metals like within their biostructures. And I, I don't think that's safe. I don't think that's good for anybody and to think that this corporation Barrett Gold is so willing to completely destroy a a place that's full of life and culture and is attuned to the land to now being scared of what what they have done because of Barrick. So this has happened all over the world. I've seen photos of people in the Philippines with ulcers on their hands, and that was a product of just having heavy metals in their waterways, and that was also a product of a barrack mine site. So just thinking about that and having that understanding that these huge mining companies from Canada are coming in and were invited in are now going to develop our land without any social license to do so. That is, I think one of the most important things is having that social license. They believe that they have, have that, but in the same instance, they haven't talked to any tribes. They've only talked to the native corporations. And there is a huge, huge difference there. 
even the guidance for indigenous knowledge from the Council on Environmental Quality states that tribes do have the best insight on these traditional knowledges and should be looked into and used as scientific evidence in federal decision-making power. So uh, it's such a complex issue having both a Alaska Native Corporation and a tribal government. So for myself, I am a tribal member of the Akhitsakhamu Traditional Native Council, and that's based here in Mantakhaisuk, or Bethel. And I'm also a part of the Bethel Native Corporation. So that is our village corporation. And then Jalista Corporation is the regional corporation. And I'm also a shareholder there. So I'm a shareholder in two different corporations and also a tribal member. So there's like this trifecta of different pieces that I belong to, but Jalista is the one inviting in this extractive industry, and might I say they've never done a shareholder vote, although it has been pretty demanded of them. They've done pretty um, obscure polls to see what the support rate is and to see if, <laughs> if somebody says, no, I don't support the mine, uh, they'll like say, oh, it'll create all of these jobs. And it's like this mine up here, but, and they created jobs. <laughs> and then they then again ask, oh, after I've told you some of these facts, how do you feel about the mine? Has it changed your perspective? <laughs> and I just think that's a really interesting way to go about getting a feel for how shareholders think about the mine. It's, I don't know, pretty convoluted. But let me ask that yeah. that question uh, about shareholders, and and I'm glad you brought up Barrick Gold because, um, and you mentioned these other struggles that Indigenous play, peoples have faced and live with those colonial legacies as a result of Barrick Gold's operations. And I know for some of our longtime listeners, uh, Barrick Gold. Sounds familiar, um, particularly if we go back to, you know, 20 years to the the struggles in the Western Shoshones in, in what is um, now known as the state of Nevada and uh, the long-term struggles of the Dan sisters and, and the Shoshone nation really uh, uh, trying to fight off the colonial uh, operations of Barrick Gold and the kind of destruction they still continue to do in violation of the Treaty of Ruby Valley or Nui Segovia of 1863. So I'm glad you, you brought that uh, Barrick Gold up and took our listeners to a different part of, of Mother Earth. But as a global extractive corporation, they really have their tentacles placed uh, deeply wedged in different parts of, of Mother Earth. And you were talking about shares, and you know, so oftentimes, in a, like in a Western economic context, uh, you know, we think of shares and the you know shareholders having the right to vote, you know, at meetings, and and then there's you know shares that have different classifications in terms of voting power and valuation, and so 
when you talk about having these shares in these Alaska Native corporations, do they have the same kind of value? Yeah, that's a very important point. So in 1971, when they created the shareholders for these corporations, they had a class A share, and that was the original people that became a part of the corporation. So the class A share has significantly more share weight inside of it. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Sophie Swope of the Chupik Nation, a community organizer at Native Movement and director of Mother Kushkoquim Tribal Coalition. We're speaking on the opposition to the Donlin Gold Mine Project, if constructed, would be the largest open pit gold mine throughout the world up in Alaska. And now back to the interview. So there's a Class B and a Class C share that goes into these corporations. And the Class A share having more weight um, really just gives the older members of the community in the region to have more voting leverage when when it comes to voting. And then with the Class B and Class C shares, those are significantly less than the Class A. So it's as if the younger generation gets less pull in these decision-making processes. And I think it's really interesting. So I'm a Class C shareholder, and my shares, they will ultimately just diminish and disappear when I die. But for the Class A shares, those could be willed to another Alaska Native that is also in that corporation. So it's a really interesting dynamic, and I don't 100% understand why these big changes happened going to the next generations. So with the weighted voting, it, it just seems like a really obscure process, in my opinion. There's some pretty interesting aspects, too, to how the voting process works, especially for the Jalista Corporation, is we're really incentivized by oh, you could win a grand prize drawing of, I don't know, $10,000. And, you know, if you go in and you just log in, click whatever one, and you can choose between choice A or choice B. So choice A is ultimately you're proxying your votes to the corporation, and they can use those shares as they please. Or you could take a little bit more time to enter this drawing, but also vote, (laughs) and use choice B. But when you use choice B, you have to then declare who is going to receive the votes. So everybody that's running is then listed. But a lot of people, just with the incentive of being entered for the grand prize drawing, are often choosing choice A. And that then allows the corporation itself to have leverage when it comes to voting. (laughs) Um, It was told to me before that these proxy votes are then used 
in certain moments when they're counting the votes to then allocate them to who they need to have in those positions or who the corporation wants. It's, it's a pretty biased process and it's really confusing too because a lot of people confuse being part of a tribe with being a shareholder and I don't think that it's 100% understood how these processes completely work just with how complicated being an Alaska Native is. Well, thank you for Well, no, that, thank you for explaining that to us. Um, I think, uh, like myself and others, um, we're not up there. We don't understand, you know, how complex being a shareholder is. It doesn't mean what uh, one share, one vote of the same value, whether it be the share or the vote. And it's more complex and and layered. And it sounds like the you know the way it's structured. The system structured, it privileges, right, that first generation of shareholders, whatever, the share uh, category, A shareholders, and it disempowers uh, shareholders of category B, but especially uh, category C. And the it sounds like the greater implication for even future generations is that there'll be less shareholders you know, for these corporations, because only the A shareholders or category A shares can be willed and the others will will expire uh, when pe- are, are be terminated when people move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to kind of clarify with the amount of shareholders, mm-hmm. they do pretty pretty much all the time have an enrollment process. So if you are a descendant of an original shareholder, you can enroll. But still, I I just think that it gives a complication to these Class A shares being the only ones being able to be willed. So whoever receives Class A shares then has a lot more leverage in how the voting process works. We've been talking about the proposed Donlan Gold Mine project. You mentioned the Willow Project, um, Conoco uh, Phillips uh, major project, and of course, you know the Biden administration just announced um, approval of that project. And I know there was immediate lawsuits that were filed by both indigenous um, organizations and and allied organizations. And there was just a ruling where. The judge threw out that decision, meaning the the Willow Project uh, will move forward in its development. But it's not the only other major project up there. And uh, another major project is the Department of Energy approved the Alaska Gas Line Development Project in order to uh, export right natural gas. And was wondering maybe um, put that into context for us. All these other projects that are going on up there that are being green lit. And as we were talking earlier, you know, um, we've covered these other frontline struggles in the past from the several struggles uh, regarding. Bristol Bay uh, over the past couple decades and longtime listeners are familiar with the the Arctic National Wildlife uh, struggles and and the work that uh, you know Sarah James and others have done in the past and so give us a, a broader picture of what all these struggles look like in relationship to 
the Donlin Gold Mine project and and what's what kind of support is there to stop this gold mine project? Yeah, so I feel that the entire state is going through these struggles of all of these proposed projects just popping up all over. And I'm a little more well-versed with the mining projects. Um, one other one is the Ambler Road project mm. and the Ambler Mine. That is going to be a super, super massive mine with multiple minerals that they're extracting. And there has been a very broad opposition in terms of tribes being opposed to it, but the native corporations are then pursuing it. And like I mentioned earlier, um, these corporations have a lot of shareholders, so it, it looks as if they have a lot of weight in who they're representing. But more often than not, these shareholders are part of these tribes that are opposed. And a lot of the greenwashing, I feel, comes from, I don't know, just taking these things, <laughs> minerals and oil, everything, and saying that it's going to be, I don't know, I feel like I don't completely understand greenwashing. <laughs> I mean, I... I totally get it in the sense that it's good for the, I don't know, I understand that it's good for the economy, but it's not entirely good for the, um, for the environment. And it just has so many complexities to it. Like my understanding with um, electric vehicles is, yeah, that's going to save a lot of fuel and we don't need to buy gasoline. But at the same time, there has to be a lithium mine that creates this battery that will ultimately save how much we're using in gasoline and maybe help stop those emissions. But then, two, how many emissions are coming from the process of actually generating the things that are needed for that green powered thing? Well, and, and the other point to that to, is where the lithium reserves are, which is, you know, mostly at least uh, within the United States, something like 75% of the lithium uh, reserves are either in or near or adjacent to Native American nations' lands. And so just to add to what you're saying about greenwashing, there's the, you know, how much emissions are, are being produced, you know, greenhouse gas emissions are being produced in the production of the batteries and the automobiles. But, but it's also like what you're saying is the source point, which is Native American nations, and the the harm that is afflicted to the people, to the plants, the animals, the water, and, and everything that water sustains for life. Sophie, for our listeners, what can they do to help? Yeah, I would love for everybody to go to nodonlingold.org slash take action, or you could just go to nodonlingold.org and click on the tab it says take action and sign that petition um, it's a petition going out to the biden administration asking them to revoke the trump administration's joint record of decision um, 404 
Clean Water Act permit. It's currently in litigation right now at the federal level, and I'm just really hopeful to see that public interest come through. And if you're able to take the time just to go and sign that petition, I think that would be very, very helpful for us. And when it comes to the time of delivery, I'm hoping it will have some sway in, in terms of having that public interest. The moment of silence is over. And that was Sophie Swoop from the Chupik Nation and the director for the Mother Kushkaquim Tribal Coalition and a Kushkaquim community organizer at Native Movement speaking on the Donlin Gold Mine project, if constructed, would be the largest open pit gold mine in the world. That concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our musical guests, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. The moment of silence is over. Why your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains Silence is over.